to teach God's word and open up the Bible, but I am so glad that you're here. We are in part three of a series called Teach Us to Pray. Real quickly, how many of you uh, were not here last week? Raise your hand if any of you were not here last week. Hey, go get the CD. Uh, last week is, is vitally important to this week, um, even maybe more so than part one is, because in part one, we begin to talk about this big idea of prayer and how Jesus wants us to interact with our Heavenly Father, that, that God is, is a all-powerful being, but God, even beyond that, is a relational being, and God is love and God wants to interact in a loving relationship with with you. And so how many of you know when you love somebody, you want to talk to them, right? Okay, go back. In your mind, you remember how it was. Okay, girls, remember when you were in school? We didn't have text messaging when we were younger. And so what did you girls do because you wanted to communicate in the middle of class? You did notes. And then y'all had magical ways of folding paper of which I could never duplicate. Guys, can I get an amen? You couldn't put them things back together. I don't know how they did that. There was like a special class that you girls took and, and we didn't know about it. It was during recess or something. And y'all learned how to, because you just wanted to communicate and you wanted to communicate with your girls and you wanted to communicate with boys, the boy that you liked or the boy. And then remember you put check boxes in there, like, yes, no. If you're smart, you just put that maybe in there so you didn't get totally rejected. And so, you know, you, you want to communicate. And then you remember like, remember that feeling when you, when you, when she checked yes on the box or he checked yes on the box and then you started doing what you kept talking and you would talk on the phone remember this is back when we had and so or at worst notice we're on the wall here okay not times have changed we were on the wall and like we'd push buttons on the wall and then we would talk and then we would just you would talk on the phone and remember how late you would stay up talking on the phone with that boy with that girl y'all are smiling y'all rolling with me because what did you want to do you just wanted to i just wanted to be close i just wanted to connect I just wanted our souls to be together. No one has ever loved like we love. Anyway, uh, so, so, and you would, you would talk on the phone so late at night. And this is back when, like, you better not be in a long distance relationship because this is when they would hem you up for long distance, right? And they would, so, so anyway, what do you want to do when you're in a loving relationship with somebody? You want to talk. And so what does God want to do? Not, not in a goofy, weird middle school, will you go with me? Remember that? It wasn't go out with me, will you go with me? Because it was like, where are you going to go? Because it was just like, meet me at the movie theater and I'll have my mom drop me off and try not to be too embarrassed about the whole situation. And so, but you wanted to meet, you wanted to talk, you wanted to hang out, you wanted to communicate. And your heavenly father is in in a loving relationship with you, wants to talk to you. Now, here's the other fascinating thing is that God, because he knows all things, already knows exactly what you did today. Before you even get to tell him, he already knows what you thought about. He already knows how you felt while you were thinking about what you were doing. That's deep, isn't it? God already knows all these things, and yet still, you know what he invites us to do? Come talk. Not because I need more information. God has all information. He's not just really smart. He's all-knowing. And so God doesn't need you to talk to him because he needs information. God wants you to talk because he's relational, and he wants to communicate with you. And so he's invited us into this thing called prayer. And if you're anything like me, prayer can sometimes be awkward or feel a little bit weird. Because you feel like, well, I'm kind of talking to the air or nothing or to the wall or, you know, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. And so for me, reading the scripture was always way easier because I felt like if I read the Bible, I could get God to speak to me through these words. But sometimes it was awkward for me to talk to God. But that's really, really important. God wants you to be able to open. This is why the Bible says that God knew certain people and other people he did not know. It wasn't that he had more information about one or the other. It was that one of them had opened up 
these lines of communication and poured their heart out to God in this weird little thing we call prayer, which is just simply talking to God. And so over these last weeks, we've looked at the when to pray and where to pray and how not to pray. We've looked at like how we establish prayer. And that's why you need to go listen to last week is because how you start your prayer will really determine how effective your prayer is. How you start your prayer will determine what you end up asking for. How many ever wondered, if, is it okay to ask for this in your, in your prayer? You didn't know if that, is that weird or is that bad or is God too busy or is that just a dumb request? Well, when you start your prayer and God, God basically opens, or Jesus opens these words with this. When you pray, before you ask for anything, I want you to declare, hey, God is my dad. Our father, Abba, was the, was the word they would have used, dad. Our dad who's in heaven, who sits in the supreme seat of authority. I want to sanctify or hallowed your name. Become more aware of who you are. I want to, before I ask for anything, I want to declare God that I don't want my will be done. I want your will to be done. Because I don't want to ask for something dumb. I don't want to ask wrongly. Have you ever done that before? Again, many times we do this with relationships. We're like, man, if I could just have that boy or that girl or be in that relationship. And then you don't know that if you hooked up with them, it would be the worst mistake of your life. You know, sometimes we're like, God, if you just get me into that job, if you just get me into that school and what you wouldn't know because you don't know all things, that might be the most terrible thing to ever happen in your life. That might lead to the biggest disasters of your life. So you say, God, before I ask for anything, just know that if I ask for something wrong, just cancel it. Because before I want my will and my way, that boy, that school, that job, that money, that whatever, I want you to know that your will trumps all of it. So if I say something dumb, just cancel that out. Because I don't want to build my kingdom, I want to build your kingdom. Because my kingdom crumbles quickly and it will not last, but your kingdom is eternal and it lasts forever. And so we had just established some things on the front end that before we ask for anything, we want to declare, you're awesome, you're holy. And so when you look at the Lord's Prayer, let's read it together. Are you ready? The Bible says that this is, this is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How many know that sounds awesome, doesn't it? Like, that sounds cool. That's over the top. That's like, that's dope. We could put that to music and that'd be just cool. But then it gets really, you know, different because, again, there's two parts to this prayer. The first part is always about him. It's his name, his kingdom, his will. But when we read in just a minute, we're going to find out that we're asking about us. We, We need some, our food and our forgiveness and our issues and our holding, it's, it's us. So it's about to change. The other thing that we, we find that, that's different too is, is like one just sounds cool, one just sounds boring. One's like majestic and then the next part's like, but I need some food. And that's not cool. You can't put that to music real easy. That's not as, as majestic or cool or dope sound. None of that works. It's just, God, I need some help. And by the way, I'm a screw up. Could you forgive me? And uh, could you just help me out? And God, I, I, I'm really going to probably make some mistakes. And so could you not lead me into temptation? And so it just gets real plain here in a minute. And that's what we're going to look at today. We've already established who God is, that he is our father who sits in the highest seat of authority and that his will and kingdom should reign before anything else. So God, in light of that, um, can you give us today our daily bread? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then there's that cool closing. It says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And we all said, amen. Amen. So you're with me now. So so today we kind of work through, we've already worked through establishing who God is. And we figured out when, where, how, not to, all that good stuff. But now we get into like, what is Jesus totally cool with us asking for? Because God knows you have needs. 
And how many know to you, your needs are very important, right? Your needs are legitimate. This is the real deal. And so God, I think, reduces down all of our needs into pretty much kind of three categories here. And the first one is this, is we need some, some daily bread. Everybody say that. Everybody say daily bread. You need daily bread. Now, now here's, here's what you need to know is, is that there's some tricky parts to how this is written and how Jesus probably said it. Jesus spoke Hebrew and the way he would originally said it versus some of the manuscripts that we have now. There's a little bit of tweaking that goes on now. When he says daily, it, it literally means continuously. Like, I need bread on a regular, ongoing basis. I need this continuously. Now, here's why this is way more important to them and to most of human history than it is to us. We live in a world where we have food on the shelf. We have food in refrigerators and freezers. We have stores. We have these places that prepackage food and you can just go get it. We have other places where they actually take the prepackaged food, cook it for you, and then you just show up and eat that too. It's crazy. If we were to talk to people who live back in Jesus' day, they would be like flipping out, like, what? Are you kidding me? That sounds amazing. You know, that's like Disneyland of these people. And, and here's why. We, about halfway through the 20th century, we entered into a period called the, the, the Green Revolution. Have you ever heard that term before? The Green Revolution. What we did was, is we leapt forward in technology. We leapt forward in our ability to produce food at high volumes and then even preserve them. Does anybody have like, you know, that really, really old grandma, that really old aunt that will talk about the good old days back when they used to like preserve meat with salt and they had outhouse? I had one of them aunts when I was little, like she'd tell me about the outhouse and be like, y'all are tripping. Y'all need to get some indoor plumbing. And so... You know, but like they just didn't because like she was growing up in, in the way back winds. You know what I'm saying? Like, and this they were out in rural farm, you know, in the south. And so they, they didn't have some of the things that you and I just absolutely take for granted. Because, again, about halfway through the 20th century, all of a sudden we've got herbicides and pesticides and irrigation technology. And we have figured out how to mass produce things like wheat and corn and grain in, in just these high volumes. And we didn't have to worry about famine. We didn't have to, because of irrigation, we didn't have to worry about drought. We didn't have to worry about insecticides and, and things just killing off crops like they did before. And you know what we figured out? We figured out how to eat. And now we kind of have an obesity issue because we figured out how to eat. And food is good, isn't it? Can I get an amen out there? Like, they, we figured out how to make food good. Like, really, really good. So I, I, let's not talk about that. So my point is, is that we take for granted this very, very simple idea of, God, I need bread continuously. As if God didn't already know that. You know what I mean? But I, I, I want you to know, like, we, we, again, we take this for granted, but people lived back then what we would call hand to mouth. That literally whatever you could grow that day, kill that day, find that day, hunt that day, fix that day, that is what you would eat. And so this is the notion that, that, that these people lived with the constant threat of starvation. At any one point in time, if there was some type of insect issue, the crop would die. If there was any point of drought, the crop would die. At any point, you were always a fearful always afraid that tomorrow I might not eat. As a matter of fact, there's this one story that I was reading about how they would take their kids, and this is kind of like, I want to say back in the 1800s, and what they would do is in this special story that I was reading is that this woman and this family would put their bread into a bread box and lock it because they knew if they didn't ration out their food that they would die of starvation. 
And that literally they could not feed their kids every day. That the kids would have to wait multiple days before they could eat. And they would lock the food away so that, because how I many you know you'd lose your mind? Like these people are kind of like figured out fasting by obligation. You know what I'm talking about? We, 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 we're, we're not happy fasters. They fasted just because they had to. And they literally, the story is that she was telling the story. She was, we, we would wait till the kids would cry. That's what we would have to do. It wasn't because we wanted to. We would have to. We literally had so little food. We'd have to wait for the kids to cry and only then give them the food. Because if we gave it to them every time they asked, we would run out of food and we would starve to death. We had to ration it out. We don't think like this, though. But these people are, are, are thinking like, I, I got to eat tomorrow. I got to figure this out. The crop, the harvest, the, the, the herd, all that has to be constantly ready. And so, God, we are always aware of your need, your demand over us to be our provider. And so he goes, I need daily bread. I say bread. Now, again, this is a generic term. It didn't mean bread, like, you know, just, just bread. It, w- it wasn't like that. I did hear this funny story. It was a joke about how this guy came. He was, a, it was a, the, the, the head CEO of a chicken company, and he went to the priest, the pope, and he said, hey, will you please change the Lord's Prayer to say, give us this day our daily chicken. Can you please do that? Because we really need to up, up our... This is clearly a true story. And so, will you please do that? We'll give you, we'll give you $5 million if you'll just change that with your people. And he said, no, I can't do this. It's the Lord's Prayer. Are you crazy? And he, you know, he waited a little bit of time. He came back. He said, I'll give you $10 million if you'll just change that whole thing about give us this day our daily bread. Just change it to chicken. And so um, he's like, look, $10 million is great. Let's do a lot in the world. But I can't. I can't. I can't. And so he comes back. He says, I'll give you $30 million if you'll just change this prayer for a little while. Would you? He goes, all right, we'll do it. And, uh, and so he, he calls up the boys and he's like, all right, guys, here's the deal. We've got a check coming for $30 million. We're going to do some great things with it, but we're going to have to change this in our prayer. And, I, and he goes, wow, that's fantastic. He goes, well, I've got a little bit of bad news. We just lost our account with Wonder Bread. So, okay, that's a bad joke. That's not my notes. I just couldn't, I, it's in my head rattled around there. So, give us this day our daily bread. For them, bread meant whatever you did. Like if you were a fisherman, your bread was fish. You know what I'm talking about? Like whatever it was, whatever industry you were in, whatever agriculture you were in. I just offended all the Catholic people. I'm sorry. Uh, please forgive me. Uh, and as you'll see in a minute, you have to. So uh, I'm terrible this morning. I'm so sorry. I stayed up way too late last night. Um, give us this day our, our daily bread, our daily provision. This is what... This is what we all need in life. And so many times, here, here's what we do, because we live in the Green Revolution, and we have food stocked up in storehouses, and many times we don't even consider the thought of God be my daily provision. But I, here's the temptation that you and I do fall into, is when we don't really trust God as our ultimate provider, and then you wait until you get laid off. You ever been through a layoff? You ever lost your job? Then you begin to, all of a sudden your faith shifts, or your faith shifts to where like, now God has to be my provider. Because the temptation you and I fall into is that sometimes we believe that we are our provider. Like, well, I work hard. I work 50 hours a week, 60 hours a week, 40 hours a week. I, I do this. I am my, we are our own provider. And that's a temptation. That's a flaw. Because remember what we just talked about earlier. It is the Lord who gives you the power to gain wealth. Who think, where, where do you think the ability to come to work comes from? The strength in your back and your mind to fire on all cylinders, to be able to be competent on a job. Who, who do you think gave that to you? So all things, when we trace them back, come from our Heavenly Father. Even your ability to work has come from Him. So many times we do. We think Walmart's our provider. Some of us think our government is our provider. We have all these false notions that somebody else is going to provide. Some of us think our job is our provider. Because we, when we get that check, 
It has a name on it, and the name is the corporation, the business for whom we work, and we think, oh, well, they are our provider. I, want, I just want to help you out real quick here. You have one ultimate provider in this life, and it is your heavenly Father, and I want you to see him as that and trust him as that and ask him to be your provider because I guarantee you he will be a much better provider long-term than if you think it's all about you or you think Wally Mart is the one that provides for you or the government provides I'm telling you, God is your ultimate provider. We are sometimes misled because of where we live and the time in which we live. He wants to be your daily provision. Now, here's what else this means, though, because there's two parts to this. In, in the Bible, really from Genesis to Revelation through the whole thing, you'll find these metaphors and these symbolic little moments where you'll see that the word of God is always likened unto or many times likened unto bread. Like I could take you through the prophets, through the Old Testament, through Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus was in the wilderness. Remember, there's a story where he fasted for 40 days. He's in the wilderness and then Satan comes to tempt him. And the first temptation sounds really, really dumb um, until you think, man, this guy hadn't eaten in 40 days. And Satan says this temptation. He goes, hey, why don't you turn this stone into some bread? Because I know you're hungry. And Jesus says these famous words. He, and it's a quote from Deuteronomy. He goes, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And this is where you realize that not only does God need to be my daily provider for sustenance, my daily provider for my basic needs, but God is the ultimate provider to satisfy the needs of my soul. That when we look at what people go through, not externally, because some people are starving externally, right? They are starving physically. There are parts of the world where this is going on in mass numbers and it's painful to see. But there are many people in America who have more than enough to eat on the outside, but are starving on the inside. And the reason why is, is because your only sustenance for yourself is you. Your dependence to be loved, to be accepted, is from other people. And other people are flawed and imperfect. And so you walk around insecure and beat up and less than and feeling rejected or feeling helpless or hopeless. And you have all this starvation, not on the outside. McDonald's is always open. You're starving on the inside. It's because you have not heard the words of God speak to your soul about who you are and about what God wants to do in you and through you. And when you lack that, you can have all the food in the world, but something is still missing on the inside. And so when we pray that simple prayer, God, here's what you're saying is, God, I need your provision. When we ask him for daily bread, it's God, I need your provision. Number two is this, as we kind of move and work through the prayer, he goes, Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. So we ask for, for what? I, I, we ask for forgiveness. How many need forgiveness? How many got in an argument on the way to church this morning? You kicked the cat this morning. You already have done something bad. You know, there's that, there's, that, there's that one joke where the guy wakes up and he goes, Lord, I want you to know that I have been faithful and honest and true. And, uh, you know, and he goes through this whole list of how great he's been. He goes, but Lord, I just woke up and there's a lot of the day ahead of me. So um, you got to help me keep going to this. And so we all need forgiveness, don't we? So when we look at, you know what? And again, when we look at the word forgiveness, the word forgiveness is, is so amazing. The word that he would have used would have been the word um, mechal. It's this Hebrew word. And it literally means to cancel a debt. And so this is why if you look at the Lord's Prayer and you really study it, it's, it's found in two places. You have Luke and then you have Matthew. And Matthew's original manuscript, we have a Hebrew copy of the book of Matthew. And, but in Luke, we have a Greek manuscript. So when you read the Luke version, it says, it doesn't say debts. It says, just forgive us of our sin. 
And you would say, well, what's the discrepancy? It has to do with when you start translating from one language into another, sometimes certain little nuances are lost in translation. Matthew has the correct version. It's debts. Because the Hebrew word for forgiveness literally means to cancel a debt. How many of you know when people offend you and when people do you wrong, they owe you something? Well, here's the same truth, is that when you offend God or when you disobey God, you owe something. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross. It's because forgiveness couldn't just be vanished and wiped away and just disappeared. Somebody owed something and somebody eventually had to pay. But here's the amazing, incredible, mind-blowing grace of God. Is that even though you owe, which by the way, you don't have the ability to pay it back anyway. He says, I will give of myself and I will pay the debt that you owe so that your debt can be canceled. This is the beauty of grace. And so this is what we step into every time we say, God, I need you to forgive me. I need you to cancel my debt. There's two other words that use uh, in in the Hebrew language for forgive. The other one means this. It means to bear a burden. Isn't that what the Bible says in Isaiah about Jesus when he hung on the cross, that he bore our sins? Because again, it couldn't just be wiped away. It couldn't just be poofed and vanished. We can't just sweep that under the rug. Somebody's got to pay. It's a debt that has to be owed. It's a burden that somebody has to bear. And then the third word that they would use is a different word. It means to erase. This is where when you read the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, you'll see this. You you ever heard the, the writers of the Bible talk about this kind of heavenly ledger? That God is taking account of all of man's deeds in, in, in this book? And that literally there's certain people that have their name in the book and then some people get their name erased or some people have debts in their book. This is the idea that God, not only does he cancel the debt, he bears the burden, but then he erases completely whatever it is that you have done. This is why First John says this, that when we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us and not just forgive you, but then to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Like, you're, you're forgiven. You're, and many of us, we walk around in life with all of our past regrets and past guilt and past mistakes, and they kind of follow us around like a cloud over a cartoon figure. And everywhere we go, we're just a little sad in this area. Everywhere we go, we're a little bit fearful in this area. Everywhere we go, we're reminded. And many of you, you have that thing. You have that one or two, or some of y'all have a bunch. But let's just, let's just hope there's only one or two things that you've done in your past that you think, man, this is just, and you've allowed it to define you. You've allowed it to become your identity. That mistake kind of defines how you feel about yourself, how you think about yourself. And because of that, it defines how you live life moving forward. And so you kind of carry this cloud of guilt. But this is, the, this is the beauty of grace. This is the beauty of forgiveness. Is that when you come and you ask God to forgive you, that he cancels the debt, that he bears your burden, and then he erases it all. This is why he says that he takes your transgressions and throws them as far as the east is from the west which is an unfathomable amount of distance. Like, it's, it's gone. I had this issue the other day with my daughter. My daughter, who's seven years old, she was playing with her friends, and, and they got into some kind of argument or tiff or whatever, and, and, and Lainey went to grab the girl, and when she, he grabbed her, she was about to do something. He, she accidentally, like, pinched her a little bit, and she was so devastated. My, my little seven-year-old has the most tender, little sensitive heart, and so she was so upset that she had accidentally hurt this little girl, that she came home just in tears. And I don't know, I don't know if you have a kid like this. She literally went to her room on, of her own. It wasn't like we were like mad at her and go to your room. It was not, she went to her room on her own, bury her head in her pillow and did not come out. 
for like 45 minutes. And I get home in the kind of the middle of this, and I'm like, well, what's going on, and what happened, and whatever else, and mom's got to go, and she's handling all kinds of other stuff. And so I go in, and I have this kind of unique little conversation with my daughter. And we walk through, Lainey, what did you do? Well, this is, this is what I did. And I'm like, okay, did you say that you were sorry? Uh-huh, yes, I did, Daddy. I said, what did that little girl say? Did, did she say anything? She said she forgave me. I'm like, okay, so is what we did wrong? Yeah, 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 it was wrong. I said, let's do this. Let's pray and ask God to forgive us too. We already asked the little girl to forgive us. Now we're going to ask God to forgive us. And then I taught her that same scripture that I taught you, that if we confess, if, everybody say if, it's contingent, if we confess. Confession brings healing. Confession brings freedom. Confession brings forgiveness. Confession is how you enter into a relationship with God. And so I, I literally, had, we just prayed this little simple prayer. And, and, I, and then I said these words. So we, we just said, hey, God, we're really sorry for what we did, and we don't want to do that again, and, and please forgive us. And I said, so, Lainey, God has forgiven you, and the other little girl has forgiven you. I said, do you know what that means? She goes, what, Daddy? And she still, I said, that means you're free. You can be happy again. You can go and, and, and be free. You don't have to feel bad about it anymore. And you could see literally her countenance changed right in front of my eyes. And I thought, this is how we teach people what grace really is. This is why we teach people what being guilt-free really is. Now, does it make what you did okay? No, I'm not, I'm not saying that. But in your heart, if you have made right by that person and you have made right by God, you don't have to carry the weight of guilt anymore. You're free. You can go live as if it never happened. you know why? Because in God's eyes, he has canceled the debt. He has bore the burden. And he has erased whatever it is that was on the ledger against you. I want you to live free because here's, here's what I know. Guilted people normally guilt other people. Shamed people shame other people. You almost invite people into your misery and you think, well, if I'm shamed, then you need to be shamed. And that's why we say things like shame on you. Why? Why would we say shame on you? God doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't say, hey, look, shame on you. How? He doesn't do that. He invites you into a loving relationship. And when you confess your sin, he freely bears the burden. He cancels the debt and he erases the transgression against you so that you can go and be free. And now when God looks at you, he sees you as free. And here's what I, here's what I know. People that feel free help free other people. People that receive grace give grace to other people. That's what I want you to be. It doesn't, make, it doesn't give us a blank slate to say, oh, I get to go out and do whatever I want again. This is the dumb notion of, gra- of forgiveness and grace. It's that it's some kind of thing that we get to abuse. Do you really think you can put an ace up your sleeve when playing cards against God? Do you really think there's a magic trick that he's never seen? Do you really think that you can somehow manipulate God and in your mind predetermine, well, I'll do whatever I want and then I'll just go ask for forgiveness? Do you really think that works? No, because God knows the intent and the thought of your heart, even before you think it. So can you pull a fast one on God? So that's not what I'm talking about. Forgiveness is not a license to sin. They asked Paul that. He goes, well, shall we just continue to sin so that grace may abound? And he goes, heck no. God forbid. No, that's dumb. Don't do that. No, forgiveness is how we experience God's grace so that we can be free to give grace to other people. It's not a license to sin. And then he backs it up with this crazy statement. We talked about it just a few weeks ago. And it says this. It says, forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Here's what I want you to know. Forgiven people, they are able to forgive other people. 
But when you've been guilty and you've been shamed and you've been abused and you've never felt the forgiveness of God, I have no idea what motivation you have to forgive other people. I don't know what it is. Unless you're just really, really good, really, really kind. I'm not that guy. So I need the grace of God in my life to give grace to other people. I need the forgiveness of God to forgive other people because that's not who I am naturally and normally. Does that make sense? Naturally and normally, I want to get revenge against you. That's what I like to do. Does that make sense? Can I get an amen? Like, that's what you want to do. But it's only when I experience God's grace and forgiveness that I am able to give it freely. And so this is the idea of forgiveness. And this is where we pray the prayer. Not only God, do I need your provision, but God, I need your pardon. I need you to cancel the debt. I need you to bear the burden. I need you to erase the transgression. Let's keep going here. So the Bible says this. The Bible says, And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is another one where we get a little bit tricky when we we start thinking about deliverance. We start thinking about God deliver me from evil. And, and, And let me give you the way that this really should read. A way that Jesus would have actually said it. It would actually say something like this. Lead us not into a test and protect us from all evil. Let me say that again. Lead us not into a test, but protect us from all evil is the way that it would have originally been written and worded and phrased. Again, when you begin to translate things, sometimes we, we, we changed it from evil. That's why if you read the King James, it says evil. But when they altered it in the New King James Version, they said evil one. Which one was it supposed to be? It was actually meant to be all evil was the way it was originally interpreted. And it wasn't God, don't lead me into a temptation because that creates this kind of theological tension with other scriptures found like in the book of James where it says God doesn't tempt anyone. Actually, you're tempted when you're drawn away by your own lust and desire. And when your lust and desire kind of get what you want, sin is conceived. That's what James said. So the way this really, really reads is, lead us not into a test and protect us from all evil. And so this is where we say, God, just keep me from the test. God, protect me. See, many times, like, go back and think about the book of Job. The book of Job, basically, Satan comes to God and says, well, he only loves you. Because you give stuff to him. If you didn't give him everything, he wouldn't love you. And so I want to test Job. And God says, okay, I'll let you test him. Only to prove his faithfulness. And so Job enters this test. So when a Hebrew person would read the life of Job, how many know you would pray, God, don't do that to me. <laughs> God, don't, don't let Satan come and do that. God, don't lead me into a test. This is the same thing. Think about Abraham. Abraham was asked by God to go sacrifice his son. And again, there's a beautiful, dynamic, crazy, cool story. It's, it's in a series back there if you want to go listen to it. It's incredible. But the whole setup to the story is this. And God went to test Abraham. And so there are times when God does test you. I need you to know that. There are times when there is temptation. The temptation comes from the evil in our own heart. Sometimes the temptation comes from the evil that is in this world. I do believe that there is some uh, a being in the universe and in the world named Satan because Jesus referred to him explicitly. So there is all those things. But the bigger picture is this. God, deliver me from all of it. The testing, the temptation of my heart, the issue in my heart, the sin in my heart, the sin and the evil in the world. Satan himself, God, just get, give me all of it. So it's God, I need your provision. God, I need your pardon. God, I need your I need your protection. Listen to this scripture in, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 10. The Bible says, No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to mankind. Meaning there's nothing new. We've been around long enough. There's nothing new under the sun here. But God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able to bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can 
endure it. Like there is a test, and sometimes it comes from God. There is a temptation, and sometimes that comes from evil. But no matter what it is that you face, there is nothing that you cannot handle by the strength and the power of God. And sometimes it's the power to endure. Sometimes it's the power to escape. And you need to know the wisdom. You need to have the wisdom to know which one's which. Sometimes you need to run. You need to get out. Sometimes you need to separate yourself from those friends, those people, that relationship. But sometimes you need to endure it. There are certain tests that you're just going to have to clinch, hold on, and wait for Jesus. You're just going to have to fight through it and know that God is testing you sometimes. And that's okay because what God wants to do is produce something in you on the other end of that test that you did not have before you. And so God's at work, and this is where we trust God. We, 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 we surrender to God. But God, if, if it's up to me, lead me not into a test, but deliver me from all evil. God, I need your protection. And then we'll wrap it up here. The Bible says, and again, this is kind of the benediction, this kind of closing wrap-up. Um, this would have been a part of every Jewish prayer. They have these endings to them. And so this was the ending that they tacked on to the end of this one, which says this. And it goes, it's almost like we went really, really cool in the beginning. Like our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We were really cool. And then we went to like, but I need some food and, and I need you to forgive me because I mess up. And then I need your protection because I don't want to do that anymore. I need. Yeah. And so but then we go back to this ending and it's this. But God, as we wrap this thing up, I, I just want to say it. So it's on the record. It's your kingdom. It's your glory. It's your power forever and ever. And we all said. Amen. It's, it's this thing where we change our perspective, isn't it? Because as, as we pray, we began by declaring God's relationship over our life, his position over our life, all those things. And then because our heart was right, we were able to ask for the right things. So that way when we go to ask for provision, we're not asking God for like Ferraris. You know what I'm saying? Don't, don't bring God your greed, just bring God your need. Does that make sense? So, but if our heart's wrong, we get into asking for dumb stuff and goofy stuff and stuff that would mess up our lives. So we say, God, if I ask for anything dumb, just trump that by the fact that I want your will and your kingdom above all. So we have now asked God, be our provider, be our provision, God, and not just our physical needs, but even in our spiritual needs, God, not just satisfy our, our physical thirst and hunger, but God, my, my spiritual thirst, my spiritual hunger. God wants to do more than just give you some wonder bread. God wants to satisfy the needs of your soul. God, I, I need your help for my pardon. How many of you know we are we're constantly making mistakes? We're constantly doing something we shouldn't have done or saying something that we shouldn't have done. And we are all a work in progress. And while God is working in us and through us, we need his forgiveness. And we need his protection from all kinds of evil. Sometimes that's evil in the earth even from kind of like natural disasters. We, all evil, God, protect me from all evil. But in light of that all, God, I want you to know it's your kingdom. It's, these are the perspectives that we get when we say these last words. God, it is all about you. When we say things like it's your glory, we're saying it's all about you. At the end of the day, if my life doesn't bring you glory, then do something different with my life. Because it's all about you. That there's nothing bigger than you, God. There's nothing more powerful than you, God. And this is where we really get to see, as we put all this together, that prayer is really not about changing your circumstances. Prayer is about changing you. That, that God is more important about doing something in you than just getting something to you. That what God wants to work out in your heart, in your mind, in your emotions, in all that you are, when you pray with God, he changes you, isn't it? 
Because when God's forgiving me and God's giving me grace or God's meeting my spiritual needs or God is my king and my dad, then all of a sudden it's rearranging who I am, how I look at God, how I view myself and in light of that, how I treat other people and how I live my life. That when I engage in prayer, yeah, God's wanting to meet my needs. But above that, what he's really doing is he is changing me from the inside out. Because I'm making my life about him. And as he gets bigger, I get smaller. As he gets more powerful, I get more dependent upon him. As, as I seek him first, as I worship him first, I'm not worshiping me or putting my I'm not. I'm not messing up anymore because my eyes and my attention are on him. So as I enter into prayer. Many times we think that, though, we think, well, if I can pray just right, if I can pray the right formula, I can get God to do something for me. How dumb is that? Prayer is not about you changing God. Prayer is about God changing you. You do it well. If you do it right, if you'll follow this beautiful model of prayer, it'll change you from the inside out. And so here's my challenge and here's my encouragement to you. Let's become a people of prayer. For some of you who it's easy and it's natural, just pray more. For those of you who struggle, just pray more. Does that make sense? Like, and, and, and now you have the model. Now you have the blueprint. We're going to talk about this for one more week because there's something very, very special that we need to share with you next week to kind of shore this whole thing up. Do not miss next week, please, as we kind of put a bow on this thing because there's one thing I want to protect you from and next week you're going to hear all about it. But I want you to engage in prayer more. I want you to enter into that loving relationship with God where you talk to God and because you talk to God, He knows you. And because of that relationship, you're not changing God. God's changing you. Let's pray this morning. Please bow your head and close your eyes with me. Father, God, we would ask that you give us that desire and that hunger. And for some of us, even a discipline to pray. That, God, we would find a place, a quiet place. It could be a room in our house. It could be that special chair. It could be the commute. I don't know where it is, but, God, help us to carve out a place. Help us to carve out a time. And, God, when we pray, God, help us to walk through these big, huge ideas that, God, above all, we want to establish that you are our Father King. That your dad but you run the show. And we have access to both the all-powerful king and the all-loving dad. Help us to approach you like that. God, help us to remember that it is always about you and it is only about you, God. And we want your kingdom and your will, but God, in light of that, we still need help. God, I still need you to, to be our provider. God, some of us are struggling right now financially. Be our provider. Some of us are still looking for work. Be our provider. Some of us are struggling on the inside. Some of us are depressed. Some of us are battling these, these things on the inside. We can't even fully explain them. God, meet our spiritual starvation. God, forgive us. We are a sinful people, God. But through your grace, God, we can walk in your ways. God, not only forgive us, but God, protect us from all kinds of evil, God. And as we walk with you, help us always to make our life about your glory God that is our prayer today in Jesus name and we all said amen come on give me a better amen than that that was good